Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's good to have this blessed privilege, and may the Lord continue to bless us in our time of worshiping Him together. <clears throat> I was thinking, Brother Kenny was making the announcements and speaking of that godless society that we live in. And at first, and I begin to consider that, but this society that is without God, seemingly without God, don't really have a clue that even though they don't want God around, they don't see God around, he's here. And in this godless society that we live in, may God bless us to be the beacon of light. And I was thinking, may, even though the world may turn away from God, I pray for myself that he will bless me to remember him all the days of my life. Let us strive in this time of a godless society to be the ones who rejoice in God and shine forth his glorious grace. <clears throat> We sang that last song, Near to the Heart of God. As we were singing that song, did it bring any thoughts to your mind about how precious of a place that must be, to be near to the heart of God? Yesterday at the meeting at Littlefield, I tried to speak upon the subject of the heart of man. And I am very comfortable speaking about the heart of man because I have a great amount of experience with the heart of man. And when I read over in Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? I can identify with that, can't you? <laughs> so often we can identify with that. We understand the heart of man. And we know from the teaching of the scriptures that that despicable, disgusting heart of man, the man, the heart of a wicked man, can only be changed by God himself. And aren't we thankful that God himself has taken away our heart and stony heart and given us that heart of flesh, that soft heart of flesh. What I would like to look at, though, this morning is the heart of God. Now, although I feel comfortable talking about the heart of man, I don't really feel comfortable talking about the heart of God. Because when we're talking about God and God's being and God's essence and God's attributes, there's no way that you and I can ever properly understand nor yet express how great God is. You know, the only things that we know about God are the things that he has chosen to tell us about himself. Whatever the scriptures contain, whatever the Bible tells us about God, that is all that we know about God. And I'm thankful that God blesses us that we might have a little bit of that knowledge about God, a little bit of understanding about who he is, 
and how he operates and what he does and, and his vastness and his greatness. I'm thankful for the knowledge that we have. You know, we can talk all about his, his uh, omnipotence and his omnipresence, you know, everywhere present, nowhere absent, has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom. He's a God of truth, of righteousness, of holy, of just all of these things I'm thankful for. But when I come to talk about the heart of God, I really wish I understood a lot more about it. We're going to try to look at that this morning. And the reason it seems to be uh, on my mind, there's a statement that's made. It's over, this is in First uh, Samuel chapter 13 is when I, where I want to begin. Saul was king of Israel. Their first king. The people had desired a king, and the Lord granted them a king. Now, he told them up front, and he told them through his prophet Samuel up front that you wanted a king, you don't need a king, and but you want a king, and you don't want my judges and my, my way of ruling things, and you want a king, I'll give you a king. And he says, let me tell you what a king's going to do. He's going to enslave your children. He's going to take everything you have, you know. Our Lord knows how governments work, doesn't he? <laughs> Take everything you have. He said, I'll give you your king. And he gave him Saul. You know, that should be a lesson for us. Just because we want something and God gives it to us doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for us. <laughs> Sometimes God will grant us these things to teach us a lesson. Well, here, Saul a great man in the eyes of the people, head and shoulders above the people, a great, physical, imposing figure. And God had blessed him. And then here in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, Saul went into battle, and uh, or getting ready to go into battle against the Philistines. And he had a little bit of sense. He knew that he better make an offering to the Lord. So he made the arrangements to have Samuel be there for the time of offering. And Samuel didn't show up when Saul expected him. That arranged schedule, for some reason, Samuel wasn't quite there yet. So Saul says, time for an offering. I'm going to make an offering. So he did it. He made the offering. That's not what God said to do. God had established his kingdom and his worship service for the priests to make that sacrifice and that offering. But, Samuel, uh, but Saul said, I'm going to do it. So he did it. And don't you like the timing of things? Here in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 10, it says, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made the an end of offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. Now, I'm not going to talk about the impatience of Saul. Uh, should have waited a little bit longer. But the main problem was that he did what he wasn't supposed to do. So here's what Samuel tells him. <clears throat> Verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Now every time we do something that's not according to God's way, it's foolishness. 
Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. So here's getting ready to be a judgment. Here Samuel just told Saul, if you would have followed the commandments of God and done everything that God told you, the house of Saul would reign as the kings in Israel throughout the history of the nation of Israel. But because he didn't, here's the judgment upon Saul. He says, but now, verse 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Saul's going to lose his kingdom. Who's going to take over? It's going to be a man that is after God's own heart. Now we know who that is. It's King David. He says, And the Lord commanded him to be the captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, over in the book of Acts, we can read uh, a sermon that was preached over there and that preached here in, this is Acts chapter 13 and verse 21 and Paul is preaching here and he says in part of his sermon, afterward they desired a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to he also gave testimony and said I have found David the son of Jesse a man after mine own heart so here is David that is said of him that he was a man after God's own heart now I have a lot of friends in this room a lot of people I'm, I'm confident that like me and they may be tempted from time to time to say something good about me, you know, if I pay them enough. Now, if, if, if Brother Wade would to go you and tell you that I am a man after God's own heart, that'd make me feel good. And then if Brother Kenny went and told you the same thing, that, that I am a man after God's own heart, I'd be happy. Wouldn't you be happy? If you live in a such a way that your friends and those around about you say that here is a man, he's so spiritual, he's so wonderful, he's so godly, that he's a man after God's own heart. I'd like that. But you know what I'd like even better? If God came to you and pointed at me and said, there's a man after mine own heart. Now that'd be a lot better, wouldn't it? You know, that's what God has done. God has pointed at David. And he said, here is a man after mine own heart. That's where I want to be. That's the place that I want to be in this world. I want it to be able to be said that I am a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't you like that? Now, I want to take a stab this morning. I'm going to take two stabs at it. And uh, maybe one of them will work. But I want to try to look and discover what is the heart of God. 
And we've already talked about the heart of man. We know what the heart of man is. It's deceitful and despicable. That's the heart of man. We have a lot of teaching in the scriptures about the heart of man. And every time you see about the heart of man that's untouched by God, it's bringing forth bad things. And they're mentioned by name in the scriptures. And I'm not going to go into those this morning. But what about the heart of God? How can we define the heart of God? Well, the first thing I want to do is let's look then at David. If David was said to be a man after God's own heart, well, maybe we need to look at David's life and try to understand from what he did and what he said, what he believed, maybe then we can understand what it takes to get close to the heart of God. Now here in this verse that we just read to you here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, it gives the first one of these little hints. Here it says that here's David, a man after mine own heart, and then notice what it says, which shall fulfill all my will. You want to be near to the heart of God? Here's a way. Do the will of God. Now that's a little kind of a generic saying, isn't it? Do the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? Well, you start right here. Start right here in the Word of God. And uh, you say, well, there's so much in that Word of God that I don't understand. Well, I'm like the old preacher one time that said, it's not the parts of the Bible he doesn't understand that bothers him. It's the part of the Bible that he understands that bothers him. There's enough of it that we understand that will teach us the way that we should go. Now, here's David, the man close to the heart of God, near to the heart of God. So we know that the Lord even said that here is this man, David, that's near to the heart of, of, of me that's going to do all my will. But then I want to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And let's look at a few of these characteristics of David that I believe will teach us what we have to do to be near to the heart of God. You go back to Acts chapter, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David has already been anointed of Saul to be king. They're the, the small, the youngest of the family, and he was anointed by uh, Samuel to be king there in front of his father, in front of all his brothers, but he was just a youth, still taking care of his father's sheep. And it comes a time of war against the Philistines, and Saul, as king, leads the men of Israel, the army, out into battle against the Philistines. And David has a couple of his brothers that are part of that army that goes into battle against the Philistines. And we know the story about when they went out to get ready to get in battle, they stopped because they were scared. Some feller by the name of Goliath. And you remember when David's father sent him to check on his brothers and take them some food and provisions and see how they were doing. And David 
comes near the camp and he sees the army of Israel in fear. And then he hears the taunts of Goliath. All right, now let's get this in perspective. You know, uh, uh, here's David. Let's say David's about my height, which is probably close. And here's David. He's that towering five foot eight. And here's Goliath that shows up in the valley, and Goliath is ten foot tall. You know, if I was trying to touch Goliath's shoulder, I don't know if I could even jump that high. So here's this big giant. And David comes up and hears his taunts. And David makes the statement. Now, let me just paraphrase this. David says, why are you putting up with this uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, this man is defined the armies of the living God. Now, David was just incredulous. He says, this guy's defying our God. Let's go out and wipe him off the face of the earth. And you know what the armies of Israel did? They cowered in fear. But David, here this big towering five foot eight of a man, or somewhere along there, he's anxious to go in battle against this ten foot guy. Why would David have the faith to go into battle? And David told the story here. And uh, David told Saul, he said, I take care of my father's sheep and and a lion came out, and I slew him. Not with a thirty-shot six at three hundred yards. I mean, we're talking hand-to-hand combat, if you will. We're talking getting up close and personal. I mean, grabbing his beard and taking a knife and killing him. Uh, you know, I like to think of myself as a brave man. I don't think I would do that. <laughs> And then a bear came after those sheep. You know what David did? He grabbed that bear and killed him. But you know, David understood something. What David understood was that he did not do it in his overwhelming strength. How many of us, how many people have you ever known that could take on a bear in hand-to-hand combat with just a knife and come out the winner? I mean... Accidents do happen, and that's probably happened a few times. But David understood why he won that battle with the lion and with the bear. And he said down in uh, verse 45, when he came out against the Philistine, he said, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. David had said, my God will deliver this man into, into my hand. When David went out to battle against the Philistine, he was going in faith that the Lord would win the battle Not that the Lord would fight the battle, but the Lord would win the battle for him. So if you and I want to be near to the heart of God, the first thing that we have to do is walk in faith. That's a great amount of faith that David had, that he walked in all of his life. He trusted God. He believed God. He knew that if he was in battle, God was fighting those battles for him. Does that apply to your life today? You say, well, I'm not really fighting any Philistines. I haven't seen any of them critters around. Yeah, but we're fighting battles in this life. 
we're fighting spiritual battles. It's just as serious as the battles with that giant Goliath. I don't know what all your battles are. I know my battles. I know the battles that some of you have. We all have battles to fight. We all have battles, not only the conditions in this world and the, and the problems we have in this world of our trials and discouragements and disappointments in our life, no matter what it may be, but we have the, the battles of our spiritual warfare. You know, the world is after us. You know, Satan doesn't like church. And he don't want you in church. He don't want you serving God. He wants to discourage you in every way possible. And when you're fighting that daily battle against Satan, when he's trying to discourage you and tell you how worthless it is to serve God, how without merit it is to go to church on Sunday and serve God in a public manner, Satan's continually doing all that trying to discourage you. He's fighting against you, and just remember, let me give you a little encouragement in this war against that this little daily battle you have with Satan. You're fighting Satan. Now, he's stronger than you are, and he's smarter than you are. Does that help your confidence any? Well, how can you win the battle then? You have faith like David. That I'm going into battle against Satan, and I'm going to tell Satan to get lost and tell him to leave me alone. And you know what happens to Satan when you come in the power and the might and faith of God and you tell Satan to get lost? He leaves. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you know what the problem is? He comes back. And so you got to tell him again. And he'll leave. Now enjoy that few minutes of peace because he'll be back. You see, walking in faith isn't just something we do occasionally. It's our whole manner of life, isn't it? Of trusting in the Lord each and every day of our life. So if we want to be near to the heart of God, the first thing we do is walk in faith. Here's something else about David. David was near to the heart of God because he loved God's word. David wrote a little bit about God's word in the book of Psalms. And I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. David wrote one little chapter about how much he loved God's word. It's the 119th Psalm. All 176 verses. And every verse, with exception, I think of two verses, mention the law of God. Now I want y'all to go home, do your homework, and come back and tell me what those two verses are. All right? Now, when you're reading Psalm 119, every verse contains thy word, thy law, thy commandment, uh, you know, my judgments, my statutes. It's talking about God's word, God's law in every single verse except for two. David loved 
God's word. He said in verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. That is my meditation all the day. You know, there's times I would, I, I like to meditate upon the word of God. But you know what? There's one big advantage when I sit down in my chair, sit down in my lazy boy chair, and I'm ready to meditate upon the word of God. You know, there's one thing that I have to know before I can meditate on it. The word of God. You can't meditate on something if you don't know anything about it. How can you say you love something if you don't ever spend any time with it? You know, if I told my wife that I loved her, but I never spent any time with her, you think she'd believe me? You know, if, if I never came home from work till midnight and I'd get up the next morning at 6 and go back to work and, uh, you know, I never provided anything for her, her upkeep, I wonder how long she'd keep believing me when I said I love you. You know, I remember a preacher saying one time, he asked a question. How does a child spell love? You know how a child spells love, that four-letter word love? Here's how a child spells love. T-I-M-E. You have a little child that you tell them you love them, they may not understand that word. But if you spend time with them, that's when they begin to think, they care about me. They love me. And isn't that true in our service to God? And not only is it true in our service to God, but here in David's life, it was true in his love to the word of God. David loved the word of God. Now, I'm tempted, but I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody upset. I'm tempted to say, how many of you spent at least an hour reading the Word of God this week? <laughs> Just an hour. I hope every one of you here would raise your hand. You say, well, I read the Bible when I was, you know, 20 years old. Yeah, but that was 30 years ago. You know, we need to spend time every day in the Word of God. David did. He said he loved the word of God. And if you say you're going to be near to the heart of God, try to be near to him every day and read the word of God. Now, there's another thing about David's life. David, I believe, was near to the heart of God because he was truly thankful for what God had given him. We can read over in Psalm 100, where David said down in verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. When you look at all that the Lord has blessed you with, you look at the houses, fields, and lands, and bank accounts, and 
401ks and IRAs and cars and houses, all this stuff that you have. And I might say all the stuff you have to take care of. But all the stuff that you have, when you look at all that and say, man, it took me 40 years of hard labor to accumulate all this junk. You know, man, if I wouldn't have been so smart and made the right decisions in the business world and the right decision when to buy this land, I'd be poor today. Is that how you are? That's not what David did. David says everything, everything that I have comes from God. If you want to be near to the heart of God, be truly thankful for everything that God has given you. Be thankful. And then there's something else about David that I believe made him near to the heart of God. If you go to Psalm 51, here we read, that David was not only a man who was greatly thankful, but David was a man that when he confessed his sins to God, he was truly repentant. If you want to be near to the heart of God, be truly repentant. You know, when you confess your sins and your faults, and you repent, you know what you're really telling God? God, you're right. I was wrong. It's as simple as that. Well, here in Psalm 51, David wrote this after a time period after Nathan had came into him, the prophet Nathan. And you remember the situation. David had committed adultery, and then to cover it up, he had... The woman's husband murdered. That's pretty bad, isn't it? You say, well, how can a man that is near to the heart of God do that? He's a man. He has faults just like the rest of us. But if you're a man that's near to the heart of God, what happens when you're confronted with your sins? Whether it's confronted by your husband, your wife, your children, your boss, a preacher, whoever it might be that confronts you with your sin, you say, you're right, I'm wrong. And what David cried out in this psalm, he cried unto the Lord, against thee and against thee only have I sinned. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David was truly repentant and sorrowful for his sins. If you want to be near to the heart of God, you search your life, you search your heart each and every day, and you search your heart and say, God, remove from me the sin from my life. God, I have transgressed thy holy law. I have transgressed and not followed your will. Forgive me, O Lord. That's what God wants. You know, it's very common. For people, preachers across this nation to get up and preach, if you love God, 
donate for this cause and donate for this cause and donate for this cause. I had a co-worker one time that was going to a church or a, a denominational world, and he said him and his wife didn't go to church during December. I said, why do you not go to church in December? He said, that's when the preacher is always preaching the PGM service, the PGM message. I said, PGM, what is that? You know, I'd heard of the Doctrine of Grace and the Tulip and all of that. I never had heard of PGM. I said, what does that mean? Please give money. He said, they're setting their budget for the next year, and they're trying to get everybody in the, in the right attitude to help us make our budget for next year. You know what? God doesn't want your money. You know what God wants? He wants your heart. That's what he wants. You know, God owns all things. Everything that we have, he's just letting us borrow it for a little while. It's all his anyhow. Now, we're commanded to give him back a little bit of it to, to help with, with the expenses of, of whatever he wants the worship service to be like, to the ministry and to the church and, and all these things, help the poor. He wants us to give part of it back, but he really don't want your money. He wants your heart. And if your heart is near to the heart of God, you'll be more than happy to help give back to the Lord and support those things. You know, it says over in Corinthians that the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. I think a lot of people have concluded when they look at how much is collected in the churches that there aren't very many happy people in the churches anymore. <laughs> now, so here's the heart of God. Here's how David was near to the heart of God. But let me take another stab at this. I was trying to glean a few things last night. What is it that the scriptures say about the heart of of God. You know, we haven't seen God. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus Christ was God and he was hit, walked upon this earth for 33 and a half years. But when Jesus Christ walked here upon the earth those 33 and a half years, he was walking as a man and he didn't have the glory of God upon him. No man has seen God in his glory, in his heavenly glory. You know, it tells us, no man can see my face, that glorious face of God, and live. You know, when Moses decide, desired to see God, he was not allowed to see anything but the hinder parts. So we haven't seen God, so how can we know anything about God's heart if we haven't seen him? Now, of course, I know that the Lord told us, uh, or that Jesus told us when he walked upon the face of the earth, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But I want to go back. If we want to understand for just a moment the heart of God, I want to go to Luke chapter 6 for just a moment. Now this passage here is one that I used yesterday talking about the heart of man. But I begin to realize and think that if we're talking about the principle outlined here in the heart of man, it's true for the heart of God. Now here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 44, it says, every tree is known by his own fruit. In verse 45, it says, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. 
in an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. So this is the principle in men. If you have an evil man, and yes, there are evil people in this world, a whole bunch of evil people, and we see more of it and more of it all the time, don't we? Why are those evil, uh, why do those men doing evil things? Their heart is evil. Why are people doing good things? Their heart is good. Now, we're not going to get into that about why your heart's good or why a heart may be evil. We're not going to get into that, but. Here's the principle. Whatever your heart is, it will be shown by your actions. Whenever I counsel couples that I'm getting ready to perform a marriage, I always make the statement to him, true love cannot be hid. You know, I love my bride. And I hope that I show my bride by my actions that I love her. You know, by the time that I tell her that, I provide for her, the time I spend with her, the things I provide for, the things that I want to do to make her happy, I hope that she can see by my actions that I love her. Now, where did I get that desire? From my heart. So if we're going to understand the heart of God, since we don't know God and and we haven't seen him face to face, how can we know the heart of God? It's by what he does. What does God do? Here we're understanding the heart of God. What comes forth out of God's heart? Well, let me turn over to 1 John chapter 4. And time's getting short. I'm within an hour of being done, and it's 15 till 12. So uh, I'm going to cut this short. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Verse 10. Here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look at God. Look what God has shown towards you and I today. If we can look at God and his actions, what do we see? Long-suffering, goodness, mercy, grace. Have you all seen that from God's hand? So if you want to understand God's heart, that's what's in his heart. I love the statement, and I'm not going to turn to it. It's over in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 8. Go and look at it. Here's Caleb, one of the 12 spies that was sent into the promised land. And when those spies came back, Joshua and Caleb said, it's a good land. In fact, all 12 of them said, it's a good land. It's a great land flowing with milk and honey. But Joshua and Caleb, and here in this particular instance, I believe it was Caleb that made this statement. You know, we need to go up and possess it now. And Caleb said, 
if it so be that the Lord delighteth in us, he will give us the land. I'm here this morning to tell you that God's heart delights in you. He loves you. He delights in you. And because of his great love and his heart for you, he sent his son to die upon the cross. Now, when his son died upon the cross, washing away our sins, you know what that's going to result in? You and I getting to spend all eternity with God. Does that sound like fun? That's better than going to Disneyland, isn't it? You know, here, remember a while ago when I talked about how to define and spell love, T-I-M-E? How much time, I mean, time is not going to be a concept when we're in heaven. I mean, if that's, I don't understand that, but it's not even a concept. We'll be no more time in heaven. But if there was, God wants to show his love toward us in all eternity. He wants to be in our presence in all eternity. And he wants that so much that he sent his son to die upon the cross for you and I. Oh, the heart of God. I cannot separate the heart of God from the love of God. God is love. He loves us with that great love. His heart is love. May you and I have a desire and be blessed to be near to the heart of God. May God bless you.